Welcome to Two Guys in a Bible. This is a weekly conversation on theology, culture, and God's word. I am Dylan Keniston, yours truly. This is Eric Leupold. No, Eric no, Leupold. no, I'm Eric Leupold. You're Dylan Keniston. I get that mixed up all the time. Yeah, <laughs> your daughter does so, so, Yeah, I was saying, so does Calvin. <laughs> and Calvin. <laughs> oh, man, we got to look so which is funny. funny. Anyway, this is Two Guys in the Bible. Welcome, y'all. Welcome one, welcome all. Yeah. Uh, today, we're talking about atonement. Atonement, oh, which is like, atonement. you know, no, no small potatoes here, no, no. small topic. Um, mm. But, but you know, this is this is one that's important because it's it's something that you know a lot of times can get, um, I don't know, it's it's easily misunderstood. I know certainly by me, um, controversial. It, is, it can be controversial at at, at points, right? Like, um, gosh, I, I I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I know there was there are some renditions of um, um, the the hymn. That take what is it uh, by on uh, in Christ alone in Christ is alone. the hymn and yeah. the removal of the verse about God's wrath, right? Oh. And so, so the, I've never heard that verse. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a handful of um, there's a handful of topics that are kind of surrounding this notion of uh, atonement and how it relates to you know. For, well, first of all, let's back up for a minute. What do we mean by atonement, right? Why is atonement needful? I mean, there's plenty of religions out there that that aren't based on a need for atonement or who mm-hmm. might say there is no need for atonement. What do we even mean when we're talking about that? I guess if put it simply the payment of debt. Yeah. Yeah. I right. mean, in the simplest way, if, if a person transgresses somebody else, uh, they owe a debt. They have to, they have to pay it back. They have to atone for the damage and the wrong that they have done. Right. And so we so you would say then that in in a biblical context this is us needing atonement for our sins. Yeah, cuz we messed it all up. Messed it up big messed time. Messed it up big time and yeah. we're still messing it up in a lot of ways. And, and it's so like in our sins so it, and here's the the real kicker, right? The salt in the wound is that it's it's not just like us messing up in a way that like it's on us and it's kind of within our um, it, it's only on us, right? What the real kicker is that our sin offends a holy God, yeah. right? So there's the sense in which there's this guilt that's mm-hmm. on us, and there's this offense that our Creator takes to our offense. And if you take it all, like if you take it, like as King David says, like against you and in you alone right. have I sinned. And you know, obviously, like we're thinking, like, well, hold on a second, David, you you killed Uriah, yeah, and you. You slept with Bathsheba. Yeah. How are you saying that against God alone? You've sinned. Well, I mean, when you take it, when you take it out, and you look at the big picture, ultimately, all sin is against God. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, it certainly has an effect against other people, mm-hmm. and in a sense, you can say that I've sinned against you, or you've sinned against somebody else. But ultimately, when you take it to the nth conclusion, it is against God. Yeah, absolutely. And that's who we owe the debt. Yes. Amen. That's really, really where it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. So so how do we then so so this is the good news of the cross, right? That Christ came down and and made atonement for our sins. Because we can't pay it off. We can't pay it it's off. It's like the national debt of the United States. <laughs> yeah, like it's like 20 trillion and counting <laughs> and the interest is so high yeah. that you can never pay it off. <laughs> like, like, right. Like, and and it's like now take that and and multiply it, it by infinity. That's right. To start to get a sense for the debt that we owe to God for yeah. our sin. And every time we attempt to pay it, it's dirty money. Yeah. 
It's like trying to pay off the national debt with counterfeit. Yeah. Like, here's my attempt. Here's my IOU. Here's my attempt. That's it's good. like, trash, trash. This is bad. No good. No good. Your money's no good here. Filthy rags. That's kind of what it yeah. is. Like, every time we try to pay off our debt, God says, your money is no good here. Yep. This is blood money. Exactly. This is bad money. Yep. You're trying to launder it. And so we need Christ, right? That's right. Christ has got the only, the, the good money. Christ yes. has got the not real, the authentic, not a counterfeit. Not a counterfeit. It's right. the real LaCoy. And, and Christ comes along and, and lives a perfect life, uh, dies the death that we deserved, and is vindicated in his resurrection from the dead. Yes. So now what did all of that accomplish, right? It accomplished what we would say, it, it accomplished atonement. Mm. Um how are we to understand the atonement made by Christ? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of like there's a couple of different ways we could slice this one up, but I don't know how we'll, we'll leave it well, broad. Uh, for yeah, now. Well, first, I, I just want to mention the reason why I think we're, we're we're diving into this topic is because it's connected to the last topic we did, which was the question on does God love everyone the yes. same? Yeah, and so now it, it does tie into the issue of the atonement, um, because the question comes down to like. Who did Jesus die for? Like, what what was he doing? And what was his intent at the cross? Like, you know, can I say to anyone I meet on the street, Jesus died for you, mm. and therefore you should, you should repent mm. and believe in him. He did something for you. You now need to do something for him. I mean, that's, there is some out there who pursue that method of evangelism sure. where they say Jesus died for you. Mm. But the question is, did he? Mm. Did he die for every single man, woman and child that ever lived and ever will live mm. or not? Right, right. Right. That's the question. And so that's what we're trying to tackle today. But it does tie into God's redemptive love. Does God love everyone? Is God trying to save everyone the same? Is he trying as hard as he can to save everyone equally. Right. So this is this is the L in tulip for those who are playing the, yes. the, the Calvinist game yes. at home. The, the tulip <laughs> acronym that's used to describe Calvinism, this is the L. The yes, limited so atonement. Limited atonement, which I'm not a particular fan of that word. Yeah, I actually – it's funny you say that. I actually agree with that. Like, yeah. So there's – I've heard use of the term definite atonement. Particular. As, or particular attention. atonement. Yeah, yeah these, are, these are better terms. Not that what is trying to be conveyed by the L in limited is incorrect or wrong. It is yeah. totally correct and totally right. But – that it's it's just doesn't have a, a great rhetorical ring to it. Like you're somehow limiting the it, atonement. Yeah, it does right? roll off the tongue badly. It does roll, and that's that's the only issue. At least for me, that's the only issue. Like yeah. you know, definite or particular might be better terms there. But all that to say, yeah. what is meant by the L in tulip for mm -hmm. limited atonement? I think we would we would agree mm -hmm. is true and right mm -hmm. and even good. Uh, so I, I guess with that for a particular people, for, yeah, that's what it comes down to. So yeah. the question is, what is when, when Jesus died on the cross, what was his intent? When he went to the cross, was he doing it for a particular people mm. or just an indiscriminate, like, everybody? Yeah. Like, universal or whatnot. So that's, I guess it kind of comes down to what does it mean to atone for something? And, you know, uh, how did Jesus do that? How does that function? So I've heard it put, and, and I, I, I don't know, if, the way I've heard that put, and I kind of like this, is that his... Uh, death and resurrection, the atonement accomplished was um, sufficient for all, mm. but effective for some. Mm. So, so that 
it was it was effective for those on whom God's favor has rested since before the beginning of the world. Okay. Um, so, but but when we talk about like limited atonement, I don't know. Like, do you, how does that sit? With I, you? Do, I, what are your I, thoughts on? I that? like that the way that that's put. Yeah. I can describe it in a different way. Um, hopefully, this is a helpful um, analogy because I want to try to connect atonement with the with Christ's role as, as a high priest. Yeah, that's a good point. Because atonement yeah. goes way back. You know, obviously before Christ, the atoning sacrifices of the Levitical priests were a picture of what Jesus was going to do as the priest after the order of Melchizedek. The Hilasterion. So, he, so he's like the yeah. he's like the ultimate priest, right? Yep. Whereas Aaron and his descendants are the are the are just the temporary human priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting is like whenever the Old Testament talks about what the priests were doing in the tabernacle and in the temple, it's always for the people of Israel. Mm. Like the, their sacrifices are for the sins of them. So the priest had to atone for his own sins, had to atone for the sins of, 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 the, of the rulers, of the king, and of the people, of all of the people of Israel. But they weren't making atonement, shall I say, for the Egyptians. Right. Now, but I want to be careful there because... There is a sense in which anyone who wanted to be part of the people of Israel could become part. The sojourner, the the foreigner could come. Mm. A person could be circumcised and partake of the Passover. Sure. Right? So, in a way, there was a method in which anybody could come and be part and join the people of Israel and get the benefits of the atoning sacrifices that the high priests made you know, every year, the, the Passover lamb and, mm. and, and whatever. And it's, it's also interesting is that no matter how numerous, no matter how many, how much the population was, the sacrifices was always the same. Like the high priest didn't have to do anything different simply because there's more people to atone for. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like no matter, like even if Israel was 1 million persons or 10 million persons, the requirement of the of the priestly priestly sacrifice was still the same right every year it didn't change so i kind of see that as analogous to what jesus has done in the sense that he makes atonement and he everything that he did on the cross was sufficient for everyone and theoretically if every single person became jewish mm. um in the old testament and became part of the people of Israel, the sacrifices wouldn't have to change. They wouldn't have to add more animals. I see what you mean. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, like the Passover there, the high priest's right, 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 yearly right. atonement right. that the high priest made would never have changed mm-hmm. because it doesn't really matter how many people there are. So I guess I'm trying to say is that Jesus' sacrifice as a high priest is sufficient yeah. for all. It's not, a, it's not efficient. It's not applied to... Every single person, because not every single person is one of God's people. Right. Right? right. He doesn't represent every single person, just as the high priest didn't represent the Egyptians or the Babylonians. He represented the people of Israel. But there were Egyptians and Babylonians amongst the people of Israel. Certainly we have Rahab, who's a Canaanite. Yeah. We have Ruth, who's a Moabite. So we end up getting... All the nations, in a way, there. 
mm. at the at the atoning sacrifice are participants of that. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is interesting in, in when we talk about the atonement and it's the the sense in which it's limited. You know, some would try to take the the work accomplished by Christ uh, at the cross and in His resurrection um, as uh, if as as effective for all. Right, that was kind of the 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 initial mm-hmm. danger to kind of work through. Well. If, if we would agree, so one of the risks there, and I, I thought this was an interesting point, um, this incidentally, this point was made by Greg Bonson. Bonson yeah. says, you know, interestingly, if you if you take that role, you actually, you, you rupture the purpose, like the Trinity and the Godhead's purposes for people. I'll explain that. So what he, what he was saying was, um, if we would agree that the Father singled out, and this is a quote, uh, if we agree the Father singled out in election those whom he destined to save— and that the Spirit's activity of bringing men to repentance and faith is operative only in the lives of God's elect, okay, end quote. But then Christ died for everyone, then you're, you're creating distinction in the, the purpose of God the Father, the purpose of the Spirit, and then what Christ actually did. Hmm. You know, they had their electing purposes, but Christ actually did it for everyone. So you're saying salvation is a Trinitarian Yes. Redemption is a Trinitarian act. Redemption is a Trinitarian act. So spell yes. out what are the, each of the roles? Uh, real, I mean, thirty seconds or less, Dylan. Mm. What are <laughs> what are each of the roles? Yeah. Of the persons of the Trinity in redemption. Okay. So. Um, and how do they relate to each other? Yeah. Yeah. So so the Father uh, sends the Son. Right. Let's start there. Okay. The Father has purposes in to the. It, the whole Trinity is implicated in creation. Mm-hmm. The Father has a plan for redemption and singles out in election those whom he intends to save. Okay. The Spirit then is operative in those individuals whom are to, to whom that salvation is effective by raising in them repentance and faith, right? And, and having the regeneration, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Having the scales drop from our eyes so that we can exercise faith to lay hold of uh, Christ, mm-hmm. right? And that's the work of the Spirit in us. Indwelling us. Indwelling us, exactly. And for Christ, uh, Christ in the sense of atonement is the, the party who is the Son become incarnate to accomplish that which the Father had sent him to do, namely to obey the law, um, to be a propitiation mm-hmm. for our sins so that in his active obedience he obeys the law in his passive obedience he takes the punishment that was ours so the punishment penal substitutionary atonement so That's the punishment big, word, big phrase big phrase but what it means is we deserve punishment christ took our punishment That's the right. wrath of so there's a there's two sides to this to this coin right one side is we needed the obedience of faith that we needed the obedience that that rendered uh our our salvation right that that the obedience that Adam could not did not provide in the, in the garden. The, the positive, positive credit. credit that we can't we can't provide that we cannot provide. Okay. Christ accomplished that. He also provided the payment of the debt. payment of the debt by taking God's wrath on our behalf. Right. That's right. Okay. So all of that works together in in an economy of salvation. You have each member of the Godhead involved to ultimately um, hmm. accomplish redemption and apply redemption to believers today mm-hmm. so that's okay i would start there now some passages that seem to speak of that as i was as i was trying to think through that was john 6 yes um i'll, I'll read john 
637, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Hmm. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So that speaks to what you were saying. The Father sends him, yes. Jesus, to do a particular, to accomplish a particular task. And the people that the Father gives to Jesus will come to him. And then whoever comes to Jesus, he will never cast them out. And he says in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me. So this is the will of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So this is what Jesus is saying. All right, he's telling everyone, listen, I'm telling you the mission, the mission that the Father sent me. He sent me to do this mission, and uh, I'm doing his mission perfectly. And he has given um, a certain people to me, and his, and his intent is I don't lose any of them. Yes. I don't lose a single one, but of all that he has given me, I will raise all of them up on the last day. And in fact, he, he summarizes that again in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And he continues in that discussion, because you know later in that conversation, the Jews begin to grumble mm. um, at him uh, about what he's saying. And then he even says in John uh, 6, uh, 44, uh, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So right there, Jesus is making a connection. The father draws, a, the, the father who sent me draws a people uh, and those people come to me and I will raise that person up on the last day. There's no disconnect there. It's not yes. like the father gives uh, a lot of people to the son and then only some of them come to the son. And even of the ones that come to him, only some of them get raised. Exactly. And that would be a horrible disconnect. Exactly right. And so that's one of the so so one of the beautiful aspects of limited atonement as a doctrine or particular atonement, definite atonement. Yeah. One of the beautiful aspects of it is it really preserves uh well, I think, the the, the whole trinity in each member of the godhead's uh activity mm. in atonement and in bringing a people to to God. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Well, that, that makes sense. And uh, there's other passages, too. I mean, we can go through uh, Romans 9 if you want. That's a kind of a long one. But I was also want to stay in John and just jump to John 10. Yeah. Was the that, Good Shepherd I, I, discourse. That actually is exactly where I'm at. Oh, well, yeah, you go well, ahead. What do you want to say about that? Well, as I was just going to say, so I, I'm at John 10, uh, verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. See the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. So... Here you have, uh, like, Christ as the good shepherd. So back up for a minute. Um, there was shepherd language used in the Old Testament mm -hmm. of priests who were fleecing the flock, right? And getting every dollar they could. Getting every dollar they could. And, and you know, wonder, you know, and there's some, I hate to say it, but, like, there's some pastors like that today too, right? They kind of yeah. get every dollar you can and you have this, you know, wonderful house on the countryside and, yeah. you know, and, and your congregates are driving, I don't know, beaters trying to yeah. barely get to work and scrape by. And Well, you lie to them and say, you know, you give us this money and yeah, yeah, God yeah, yeah. will give you money back. And right. Yeah. And that's, that's no good, right? Yeah. So now ultimately uh, – <laughs> What's, there's one really interesting passage where this comes together. It's, I'm, I'm forgetting the precise referent, um, but there's this language where uh, 
God says, you have not been a good shepherd. I will be the good shepherd for this people. I will do it. Who will be the good I shepherd? Say I will do it. It is Ezekiel, but I can't remember if okay. it's, I can't remember which chapter. He says, I will do it. I will do it. I will do it, God yeah. says. Yeah. And then he says, I will send my servant David. Right? So, yeah. so you have this like, God will do it. The servant David will do it, coming together in one shot where uh, ultimately great David's greater son will be the good shepherd who is himself yes. God yes. taking on uh, the role of shepherd for his sheep. And he knows them. So we read on in John 10. So that's where the, some of the background of the shepherd language. Mm -hmm. John 10, 13, uh, he flees because he has a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. That is, Gentiles, right? Yes. Uh, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I take it up again. Um, so here, the, one of the key things to note is that Christ knows his sheep and his sheep know him. So mm -hmm. we, we know who are, those who are in Christ know the voice of their shepherd. Mm -hmm. Right. And follow the voice of their shepherd. Mm. And Christ knows those whom are his. Mm -hmm. And it might not be everybody. That's but true. Those who are his, he knows and he comes and he saves them. Mm. What about um, even as you continue going down to uh, John 10, um, <clears throat> he continues that good shepherd discourse. Uh, the Jews are gathering around him. I'm, start, I'm in uh, 1024 there. And, he, and they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the, the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Yep. So they just want like a straightforward answer from, from Jesus, more than likely to condemn him mm -hmm. rather than to uh, worship him and love him. And this is what Jesus answers. He says, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And he says in verse 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep because so, so he doesn't oh, say man. he doesn't say you're not my sheep because you don't believe he right. says you don't believe because you're not my sheep exactly like you're not my sheep and he says my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and then verse 28 the clincher the clincher is i right. give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand no my, one's snatching them yep my right? father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand mm. i and the father are one so the beautiful and that's when the jews pick up stones to stone him yeah when he says that, and the beautiful thing about that passage is it does kind of, it ties into multiple aspects of quote-unquote Calvinism, mm. the tulip, right? Because there we get the perseverance yeah. of the saints yep. that no one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So you, it all has to work together, right? If Jesus dies for people who are going to go to hell anyways. Hmm. Like, like, think about that for a second. This is a very, very important thing for us to grasp. Let's say that Jesus died and paid off the debt of every human that every, ever lived. Everyone is paid off, right? Okay, why are people going to hell then? Why are some people still going to go to hell? Hmm. Is it because they, they thwarted they thwarted Jesus. Mm. They thwarted God's plan. They overcame the blood of the lamb mm -hmm. that paid for their sins. And they will be able to stand in hell and say that they overcame mm. the blood of the lamb and that they thwarted his plan. Jesus tried to save them. 
and failed. He tried as hard as he could. He tried what he could, you know, but and he, they perished. Yeah. And the, and so you have a, a mission failure. Yeah. Like that is mission failure. Yeah. If 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 people are 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 atoned for by Jesus, he's their high priest, and yet they still end up going to hell mm. because because they thwart his plan. Mm. Like that's just you can't we can't go there. I I don't think we can go there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so that. I think right there that rules out the idea that his atoning sacrifice was applied to every single human being. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with that. I, I, let's let's circle back. You had mentioned yeah. the priesthood earlier. The priesthood, yeah. Right. So um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is this notion of the the mercy seat, right, and mm. um, the. The, the word is here, uh, halasmus, an, an atoning sacrifice, or hilasterion, which is the atonement cover. And here you have that in the Old Testament, um, the the hilasterion was basically the the cover on the top of the ark. The ark of the covenant. Ark of the covenant. Of the with covenant. the cherubim facing yes. inwards. Right? Yes, and so blood was spilled here mm-hmm. when atonement was made on Yom Kippur. Day by of the atonement, high priest. By the high priest, yeah. exactly. Okay. So now one of the things, I, I remember... I remember bringing up. Uh, I remember this discussion mm-hmm. between um, a Muslim and a Christian, mm-hmm. and the the Muslim was making the point that salvation or justification or being made right with God could happen apart from uh, Christ's atoning work on the cross. Basically, the point he was making was. There is no need for atonement. God just forgives. God just forgives, and that's it. And that's in the that's in the Islam theology. Yes. Now, here's what's interesting: the Muslim pointed to Luke eighteen, okay, fourteen, which I have up. All says, right. um, "Well, I'll, I'll read some of the, this. Yeah, is go ahead. this is um, he's told a parable? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus: God, I thank you that I am not like other men, <laughs> yeah. extortioners, unjust, adulterers." Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I have, I'm awesome. I'm right? so awesome. I'm so awesome. God, thank you for making me so awesome. Uh, verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now here's verse 14. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. This man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified mm-hmm. rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Muslim says, Justified is the word. How is it that this man is justified, mm-hmm. but Christ has not yet gone to the cross wow. or died or risen? Yeah. That's your word, Christian. Yeah. In your Bible. Yeah. Okay. So. They went to the temple. So. Where sacrifices are being made. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> well, that's. Okay. So that right there. So this is what's interesting. And this. So uh, the Christian made this point. He said. You know, the, the Greeks had, uh, you know, in, in Koine Greek, you know, the language, so they had um, two different words for, uh, for this justified word here. Yeah. Um, the word here in, in Luke 18, 14 is uh, dikaiao, uh, which, which basically means um, to pronounce righteous or to justify, oh, pronounce. Okay. right? Yeah. Um, so that one's pretty straightforward. But uh, there's another word for um, for atonement uh-huh. that ties back to the mercy seat, right? Uh, oh. Hilasterion. So in Hebrews 9, 5, for example, above it were the cherubim of glory over, uh, overshadowing the mercy seat. Um, 
when we read in First uh, John one six through seven, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, uh, we lie. Um, the fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. First um, John two two, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there's this notion of hilasterion as um, the mercy seat sacrifice that Christ accomplished as the high priest who himself presented the sacrifice, who is himself the sacrifice. Yes, he is the sacrifice. Right? right? So uh, this word is likewise used in Romans 3.25. Um, uh, Jesus is, you know, uh, at the place of atonement here. So there's a couple of different wor- uh, places where this word is used, and mm-hmm. uh, Luke 18.14 is not one of them. So the, basically the Christian came back and said, well, um, the sense in which it's used here in Luke 18.14 is not the same sense as this uh, use of this other word. It basically says, you know, here is what Luke eighteen fourteen is showing us so beautifully is th- is what one of the key uh, dynamics of what goes into what we call justification, which is namely contrition, humility, repentance. Right. Yeah. That's one of the key dynamics that goes into it. But it's indeed true that Christ at this point had not yet died for our sins or been raised for our justification. So we're not yet seeing the whole story in Luke 18. Um, and he, and, but what's interesting is this use of this word, the difference of the, use, uh, of, of the word that can be used for justified mm-hmm. and the trajectory that that mercy seat and that that theology of Christ as the great high priest has from old covenant to new covenant is one of the bases for yeah. that. So I just thought that was, that was worth pointing out. There may be instances that are in the text that are confusing when it comes to justification or when it comes to atonement being limited. But wasn't Abraham justified by faith Abraham? before Christ? Before, well, yes, before Christ. But he was looking forward. He was looking forward to of Christ. Of course, exactly. of course, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So here, so for, for example, um, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of another example. No, there's there's like two or three others. Well, yeah, i got a couple we'll of thoughts uh, there. I mean, I appreciate it's very interesting to, to talk about the, how, the, how, the, how, how Islam doesn't have atoning, the sacrifice for that. God, God just kind of winks at sin and lets it go, and, right. and he's never just, his, never, his, his justice is never fulfilled. Yes. But at the cross, um, and this, is, this actually comes to another aspect uh, regarding the payment of debt portion or God's justice portion. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Uh, it's the issue of double jeopardy. Mm, okay? Yeah. So I want to quickly mention that Again, when when Jesus bears the punishment and takes the wrath of God upon himself, okay, if he is taking the wrath of everybody, everyone's, God's wrath on everybody, every human is now being transferred to Jesus. If that's the case, then how does God have wrath still on even unbelievers? Because if they're... You see what I'm saying? Like, like yeah, they're, you can't they're being have the same wrath on the same thing twice. That's yeah. exactly right. They're they're being punished in hell. Yeah, there's a, there's a there's a double punishment going on there. Jesus is punished for their sins, and then they're punished for their sins in hell. The same sin is being punished twice. Right. So I think you you get into some uh, that whole legal uh, how is God just yeah. kind of concept there. And again, when Jesus declares it is finished on the cross. Well, what is finished? I mean, does he save, actually save someone, or does he simply make people savable? Mm. And they're not really saved until later on or 
until they add some kind of add their own faith uh, to the mix there. So let me ask you this. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of passages with respect to atonement that sure. that seem to broaden the scope beyond okay. just uh, you know the the limited mm-hmm. sense in which we've been talking about. What are you so thinking? here's an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. Uh, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Okay. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, mm-hmm. in Christ, God was reconciling the world to yeah. himself. So, there's the question of the day. And this actually covers the yep. John 3.16 passage. Yes. How do you understand the word world? Okay. I've heard it said that serious scholars have seen at least 10 different ways mm. that the way world is used. Like, you know, world is, it, it, it can be used in a lot of ways. Uh, I think the Pharisees say something to the effect that, oh, look, the whole world has gone after him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, aren't we also not to love the things of this world? Jesus even commands his followers, uh, do, not, uh, do not love the things of this world. Uh, he who loves the world, right, uh, does not love the Father. Um, and things like that. So the way the the word world is used, the context is going to have to have to guide us in that. Um, so First John two two, uh, he is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but only, but also for the sins of the here it is again, yeah. the whole world. Yeah, and I, I think that ties into the picture that we see in Revelation of God is redeeming what a people from every tribe, tongue people, and nation. Mm. Um, in a way, when we, we can really, we can legitimately say that God is saving the world. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, we make it seem like, it doesn't sound like world when you see a, a trickle, uh, right? Uh, let me give an analogy that, that I've heard other, other theologians use. Um, let's say that we're going to, to uh, Hilltown Day, mm. right? Hilltown Community Day here in Bucks County, right? And we go out there and, you know, um, I'm telling you all about it. And I say, hey, Dylan, man, all of Hilltown was there. All of them. Like, it was packed. Mm. And you would say, well, actually, Eric, you know, uh, so-and-so, uh, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Smith, she she lives in Hilltown and she wasn't there. I was. She was actually at home that day. You mm. can't say that all of Hilltown was there. And so, and and you would be misunderstanding the way I use that 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 way of speech, right? Mm. Like, but but then if I if I if I go to Hilltown Day and there's just three people there, yeah, I'm not gonna say, well, all of Hilltown was there, right? That mm. would be kind of silly, a silly use of language, and I think we fail to understand that. Um, that the uh, the sacrifice of Christ, God's people are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. And so when when Christ comes back and and the dead are raised and we have the new heavens and new earth and people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are worshiping the Lord, we will be able to say the whole world has been saved. Hmm. I mean... As numerous as the stars in the sky. So this is not, we're not talking about Jesus dying for a handful of people, like 10 people, right? Mm. You know, um, I don't, you know, we're not, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses, right? Mm. Who believe that it's only 144,000. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. The only ones that get to go to heaven. Um, I mean, this is a numerous people. 
And so I think when you use the word world, it doesn't mean every single human being that ever lived and ever will live. Yeah. But in a general sense, it means it means the world. So what about yeah. – so there's a couple of passages that reference all too. So this, <clears throat> yeah. is, this is one we yeah. can tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, John uh, 12, we'll start at um, – We'll start at 30. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast mm-hmm. out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, verse 32, will draw all people to myself. Yeah. All kinds of people, right? Ah. So, okay. So this is this is what we're getting at. Like when we talk about the world and we talk about all um, all without – so there's – you could say all without exception. Yeah. Universalism. Yeah. You could say – all without distinction. Yeah. Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Right. So well, I, I think yeah. that's that's an important distinction. What you have, you have to remember, like in Jesus's day, it was Jews were God's people, Gentiles not so much. Were not. Right. Yes. So like when when you hear all language used in Scripture like that with respect to atonement, a lot of times, I, I think in the vast majority of cases, what we're talking about is. All without distinction. Like slave, free, slave, man, free, woman, man, Jew, woman, Gentile. Jew, Gentile. Exactly. Yeah. All in that and sense. And let me give another example. First Timothy uh, 2. Here's uh, starting in verse 1. Um, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Mm-hmm. For kings and all who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of our God of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, mm. which is a testimony given at the proper time. So, Did he give himself as a ransom for every single human being to ever live? Well, uh, no. Right. Yeah, Not exactly. for the Amorite high priest who was killing Babies yeah, back in yeah. the land of Canaan, and then yeah. you know the Israelites came and slayed him with the sword. So that's the thing, and we see the context there. He, uh, Paul says, "I urge you, give prayers and thanksgivings to be made for all people." And he qualifies that. He says, "For kings and all who are in high places." Why does he say that? The temptation there, people are being persecuted. The temptation there is to not pray for your rulers, right? Who are generally speaking very anti-Christian. Mm-hmm at least at this point in time in the Roman Empire, right? So it would be hard for, it would be tempting for God's people to not pray for Caesar or for the governors or or whoever's in charge, right, who's persecuting Christians. But he's saying, no, pray for all of them. And so rulers and non-rulers Rulers alike. and non-rulers yeah. because God does desire all people yeah. to be saved. It's no distinction. Yes. There will be rulers who will be, there will be slaves who will be saved. But Paul's not talking about all in the sense that every single man, woman, and child who ever lived and ever will live. That doesn't fit the context. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Would you pray for the dead? Right. Like that gets you that gets you in a very dangerous way. Like, are you praying for the dead Amorites mm. who died thousands of years ago? Is God desiring to save them when or the Egyptians or Pharaoh when he was not trying to save Pharaoh? If you're a Mormon, you might try and pray for you the dead. You might yeah. pray for the So I mean it gets you and you can't we can't read the Bible like all does. I've heard people even say all means all, and that's all all means. Yeah. That's not accurate. Yeah. All does not mean all all the time because the context determines th- what the word means. 
It's right? like saying the word thing. Like the word thing means what thing means. A thing could mean it, it depends. Yeah, so, that's your, yeah. Anyway, right. last last tough case. Yeah, last uh, tough, last tough case. Then uh, we gotta we'll have to wrap it up. First Timothy chapter four verse ten. Uh, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Interesting. Go ahead, <laughs> so, so this one, this, this one is like, so we have that all the same, who's the savior of all people without distinction, not without exception. Right. But yeah. now then uh, Paul adds this little tidbit in his letter to Timothy, especially of those who believe. Um, so in that case, I, I think, and I'm, I'm reading from the ESV here, and I think that um, I'm, I'm not questioning the ESV's rendering of the word that is here rendered especially. Yeah. I do think it's a little bit misleading for what Paul intends. So I think what Paul is saying here is uh, he he's specifying the group whom he has in mind. So who is the savior of all people? That is of those who believe. I mean those who believe. Oh, I see what you're saying. In particular, you know, specifically yeah. those who believe. Ah. So I, I think— He's zooming in. I think he's zooming in. Okay. Um, so especially in, in English has this connotation of um, the group writ large and especially a particular subset, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I don't—and I, it's that subset that in English, like, it's the subset that I think Paul is focusing on, not the— like the word, especially in English, in, tends to implicate an entire group and then a particular subset. Whereas I think what Paul is after here is just the subset. Mm-hmm. So, who is the savior of all people, Jews and Gentiles? I mean those who believe, specifically those who believe. That mm-hmm. is those who believe, right? Mm-hmm. He just got the focus on the subset. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's going on. No, that makes sense to me too. That yeah. makes sense to me. So, but I hear that one brought up a lot yes. in terms of limited atonement. Just wanted to take a couple of challenging. No, I understand. No, I understand. Absolutely. Cite. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to, to the end of the day, like, is Jesus a perfect savior or is he not? Is he going to fail or is he not going to fail? Is he going to accomplish his task? Um, I don't believe that at the, at the end state, when all is said and done, that God is going to be disappointed. Like, I don't think that God is going to be eternally sad that so many people that he tried to save are in hell. Mm. Like, that doesn't make any sense. The eternal joy of the Father is gone because he failed. To get as many as he could, mm. so I, I just I think in the end, when you take all of Scripture and you look at putting it all together, especially the very clear passages of, of John six and John ten, yeah. and we'd even touch on Romans nine. I was just say uh, Romans nine. That's we, a whole nother. That's yeah. a whole nother. And but we Hebrews, don't need to touch Romans nine. In. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, anyways, uh, I think that's ready for proverb of the day. Uh, if Is you got one for me, I'm ready. I got one. All right. Proverb of the day. All right, let's proverb do it. It's time right. for Proverb of the day. Time for Proverb of the day. Here we go. You ready? All right. Proverbs Here we go. chapter 16, oh, my favorite. verse 6. <laughs> oh, chapter 16, verse 6. Oh, yes. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquities atone for, and by fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Hmm. Yeah. It's a great one. Thank you for this. No, I, 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 I've been trying. I, I, actually, this is one I've recently... I've been memorizing. Amen. Yeah, no, oh, I've been trying God. to memorize some of the Proverbs. So Amen. you picked That's one that was already, already on, on the list. list. I love it. So I, I appreciate it. that. Amen. Very, God is very good, helpful. Man. All right. So this is... A I perfect... actually didn't know that, by the way. That, no, no. That was on the list. Yeah, it's on the Amen. list. I, I love this. I love this proverb. Mm. By, let's, let's think for a second. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Iniquity is atoned for. This is an atonement passage. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I want to start with the first one. 
by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And that is true as true can be, right? And obviously, um, we as, uh, as sinners, uh, we read that and we're like, okay, all right, steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Okay, how can my iniquity be atoned for? Does that mean that I, if I exercise steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, my iniquity would be atoned for? Uh, and I would say, theoretically, if you could exercise perfect, steadfast love and faithfulness, you wouldn't have iniquity yeah, to exactly. atone for. That's, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the catch of this passage, the catch-22, right? And the thing is, like, if you reflect on your own life, you're like, well, I don't have steadfast love and faithfulness towards the Lord. It mm. has not been perfect. Mm. Uh, so I have iniquity. Who's going to atone for it? Mm. And that's where this passage zooms forward and points forward to Christ because you need, you. the only way that iniquity gets atoned for is if someone has steadfast love and faithfulness that's perfect, like an acceptable, perfect love and faithfulness that, that God will receive. Mm. You know, and only Christ has that. Only Christ has has exercised steadfast love of the Lord, of, of the Father, and faithfulness to the Father. And for that reason, iniquity, particularly our iniquity, is atoned for. Um, right there. So I think that that, that nails that. Uh, that kind of shows us a, a, a picture of Christ there. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And that, again... Um, uh, you know, it's it's pretty clear. You know, we are sinners. I have not perfectly feared the Lord. And apart from the fear of the Lord, I am going to be enslaved to sin. I I I can't turn away from evil without without the fear of the Lord. And and that's something that I can't generate within myself, right? Mm-hmm. I can't cause myself to fear the Lord perfectly, you know. Um, and that's where that the Holy Spirit must come in, must uh Take a dead sinner and raise that sinner to life. Take a rebel who hates the Lord and turn that person into one who fears the Lord. Mm. And now, because they fear the Lord, there is a freedom from evil. We can turn away from evil because we are set free right. from sin. And that, yeah. But that begins with that atoning sacrifice. So in a way, this proverb touches on the whole aspect of salvation. Amen. And redemption. So. Amen. Love it. Thank you for thank you for taking that on, no, brother. Thank you Much for appreciate it. I, I love this passage. This has been two guys in the Bible, it has been. Uh, and you can feel free to reach out at two guys in a Bible at gmail uh, Our Twitter handle is at two guys in a Bible, Facebook.com forward slash two guys in a Bible, and two guys in a Bible All of those with the number two. Uh, my name is Dylan Keniston, and if you uh, here with Eric, uh, Leupold. Eric yes. Leupold, if y'all have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, you know, email them to Eric. He loves those. That's right. I'm just I'll forward them to Dylan. He'll forward them to me. Uh, send them our way, and uh, with that, God bless. Yeah, Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Take care.